Hello, Pavi, and welcome to our second episode um, that we do in the framework of uh, Buddhist psychology, uh, centered around the book by Prema Chodron, which is called the When Things Fall Apart. Um, we did our first episode that was mainly centered around fear. And today we probably get more to the core of the book uh, and the chapter that is Eponymous when with, things fall apart when things fall yeah. apart right and uh, you would like to do a short introduction into what Prima Chodron is writing and then we will have a discussion about it because a lot of it will not be self-evident perfect yeah so doc I'm uh, kind of excited to talk about this particular chapter because you know this is something that sort of the reason why I picked up the book this is the title of the book itself um, and basically, like to explain what she means by when she says when things fall apart, um, she, her, the gist of the book that she says, uh, and I'll just read it verbatim, she's like, when things fall apart and we are on the verge of being off, we know not what. The test of each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize. The spiritual journey is not about heaven and finally going to a place that's really well, but that's really swell. And it, she kind of stops there and then it goes into the story. Um, that but in itself is already not understandable. Like, what is that? Very yeah, poetic. yeah. Very, very poetic, very like, you know, sounds good to the ear yeah. for me. Um, but, it, you know, she goes deeper into the book and she sort of like gives her own example that you know, she was, uh, uh, she was told to go to Gambo Abbey. It's like, you know, one of a really bi big Buddhist uh, Abbey. And she was already a monk and she was asked to sort of lead this particular Abbey and uh, be the director for it. And she's like everything and in her life that she had brought to the table, you know, her kindness, lovingness, the way she ran. She's like, everybody, all, her peers started hating on her every move she made sort of backfired. And that's something I think like, you know, all of us can relate. I certainly can relate to uh, to my career a um, couple different times, right? Like you at work, suddenly things are going fine. And then suddenly, you know, every conversation you have has backfired on you. Every mm -hmm. thing that you do, people are not liking it and everything is out in the open. And like, you know, all there are times in life when like, all aspects of your life stop working suddenly. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was my, like this year, uh, my career had a little bit of a, uh, you know, shakiness. And then it was also like me coming to, um, coming to an acknowledgement that, okay, I'm not gonna get to really high levels in my career. I will also started to see my own behaviors and patterns that are uh, that I'm unable to overcome, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that I think that is what she means when she says, like, you know, when things fall apart, you get to this depression um, and this place of I don't, I hate where I am in my life right now, mm -hmm. and all of that. And so it sounds like, she, can I sum it up as a personal crisis? A personal crisis, yeah, almost a personal crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Like it could be a career, more career driven than anything else. But she talks about, you know, it could be all different aspects of yes. your life. Yes. Um, 
what she recommends in the book is the line that she says is things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Um, and what she recommends that um, we do in life is stay in the not knowing, have room to be like, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing and have room for grief, for relief, for joy. And I don't know what that means, but when she put it in that story, in this famous Buddha story, I think you also mentioned it in one of your podcasts. Um, and the story goes like, the, a, a family in a village had one son um, and, oh, and one horse. And one day the horse gets, um, uh, one day the horse runs away and people are like, oh, this is so bad. And the farmer's like, I don't know if it's bad. Then the son goes to, then the next day the horse comes back and brings, mm -hmm. 10 other horses and people are like, oh my God, you're so lucky. And the, and the farmer's like, I don't know if it's good for me. And the third day, the one of the wild horses breaks his son's leg and people are like, oh, you poor thing. You only had one son and now nobody can even handle your horses. Such a bad thing happened to you. And the farmer's like, I don't know if this is like, uh, uh, if this is bad. The next day the army comes and they're recruiting all the able young man, but they leave the farmer, farmer's son behind. Um, and people are like, oh, this is such a good thing. And again, he's like, I don't know. And so the story sort of yeah. um, continues. And her point obviously of the story and uh, is that we don't know whatever is happening to us, you know, whether this, you know, the crisis in our life that's happening to us, um, we don't know if this is good or bad. And the thinking that we generally have in our life of the, once I get there, I will be happy, mm -hmm. right? We all, like, I think like most of your listeners and all of us understand that that's a fallacy. But something that she pointed that I didn't even realize was the whole concept of heaven and hell. It actually comes for, from that thinking of, once I get there, I will be happy, right? Like once you get to heaven, you will forever be happy. Once I'll, I'll like, go where? Can you? Once you, you know, once you're out of this situation, once I get this next job, once I get into a bigger house, you know, all those things that we have, yes. um, if, uh, I will be happy. And she, she says that that is what sort of like causes us suffering. And what we need to remember when, when we are in, in these moments of life crisis is we need to remember that this won't last um, and this too shall pass, right? Sort of, um, and we all we need to do is sort of stay with the shakiness, right? So she basically, uh, yes. Yeah. So that is sort of the essence of the book is stay with that shakiness. Don't run away. Don't try to like, start solving all your life problems and stay mm. in that, you know, like at least stay in that emotional state where you don't know. Yes. Um, and I wanted to, yeah, and that's, I think it's a very much that Buddhist concept of life is suffering and, you know, you need to accept that life is suffering. And that mm -hmm. is something I really wanted to sort of understand because to me, when I was having a lot of like life crisis, all I wanted to do was like, run away and fix it or change my scenario. And I was reading self-help books. I was trying to grow. My question here is, 
how do you like how do you sort of number one do you agree with this and number two how do you stay with that suffering if that is the way to you know if if a, if that is the way to grow and question number 3 sort of like i think to me the most important of all is when i when i've been going through these kind of life crises right i these books talk about observing yourself and i think you yourself say okay be curious and see how you behave and i see myself and even though i'm seeing myself making those same mistakes i'm unable to number one stop and number two even when i see myself i still keep making those mistakes which brings my you know confidence even further down because now i'm even observing making myself make those mistakes and following the same behavior patterns of before but i'm unable to make that change and yeah. how do you do that like how okay. do you change there are many many <laughs> many many topics many that. questions we yeah we have to work on them one by one okay. uh first of all this supposedly buddhist idea of life is suffering uh, is not a correct representation of the old buddhist teachings uh actually you never find this quote in the old texts what you do find is there is dukkha of which suffering mm -hmm. is uh, an interpretation it's it's a too strong word uh dukkha is somewhere in between unsatisfactoriness and suffering it has a spectrum of meanings so uh toothache yeah in in dukkha. hinduism duk duk just means um sad or pain. Oh, okay, interesting. Still in Yeah, Hindi. it doesn't really mean. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. duk uh duk just means sad or pain in in Hindi. Yes. Um yes. which is dukha in English it would be if you write it down it'll be pronounced dukha but duk is what we say, right? Like um is this pain, suffering, sadness? Yes. So um, it, it yes. covers a range of uh kind of uneasiness or uh problematic states. So in the text you find there is dukkha there is unsatisfactoriness but not that the whole life is uh unsatisfying or suffering and that would also not work would not be consistent with the buddhist teaching because the buddhist teaching is part of life so what the buddhist teaching is suffering too uh no of course it's not right it's a, it's presented as a multi-layered uh escape uh, a multi-layered deep a path to deep satisfaction so that of course is not suffering and not unsatisfactory um but there is it's the fact of life that there is something like deep dissatisfaction frustration pain grief all these things are real right yeah. so even though it's just part of life uh it's still sometimes uh we have situations where we face the question okay i don't know anymore I don't know what to do with that because this is the strongest that I've experienced this. I'm not equipped for this. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's a kind of uh, pain or suffering or grief that I don't know how to handle. Like pets died. That was horrible. But now that my parents are dead, I don't know how to deal with that, for example. So there are situations yeah. where the, the pain, the satisfaction, grief, and so on um, just reaches uh, an an amount or a quality that it 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 leaves us kind of um, in doubt if we can take it, right? 
so even in the softer, more correct version of the Buddhist interpretation, it's still accurate mm -hmm. in the sense that, okay, even if life is a back and forth uh, of, of kind of joy and suffering, um, eventually suffering reaches a stage that leaves me helpless and where I need kind of tools to deal with that. Okay, now to what she writes uh, about her issues as, a, as an abbot, as a leader of a nunnery, of a monastery. That is not really comparable to many people's situation, isn't it? I, I mean, think so. I think it is, right? Like you, you join, um, um, you join an violence. agency. So I stay in observing the situation and uh, also this beating shall pass. Let me not do yeah. that. Or yeah. my unemployment. It's so like probably I should just watch my unemployment and stay in this groundlessness <laughs> and then something will magically appear because I'm cool-minded. I, I think what she, in the way I interpreted it, like, you know, I, I think domestic violence or all of that is is definitely a much more different issue but what she i think is talking about is you know even even in unemployment right like right now i personally i'm in that situation where i'm trying to figure out my own next role and my career hmm. um and what she talks about is rather than continuously focusing on okay when am i going to get the next role today i didn't get a role today tomorrow uh, what she's saying is just like sit with it and sit it does it's exactly sit with the fact that you know you are right now in the unknowingness right like you don't know where your career is going to take you you don't know where your life is going to take you um you don't know how next year with covid and all how next year is going to roll out how the economy will roll out rather than trying to like just continuously trying to fix things, which I think which a lot of us have issues with. I think the way what she's talking about is stay in that unknowing. Not that it's something I can do, but I, I don't know if you like, you know, like how do you, how when you have problems abundant in your life, right? Like you yeah. have- Well, my, um, my first question is before you come to the how, why, why should I stay in so I have a lot of issues. I have financial issues. I have planning mm -hmm. issues. Like my next steps will determine how my next year or two uh, will look like. Why the hell should I just stay in that and let time pass and not do anything about it? I don't understand. Oh yeah, that what, I agree with. What yeah. is the what is the promise there? What what is the good? What is the great outcome of that? What is the promise? So I think the promise that she's thought of talking about is um, even when you get a job, right? And even once in, in any year, once you get a job and everything, um, you there's going to be other set of problems. So I think what she's saying is like, you know, there's going to be problems in life throughout. Yeah. Um, so you might as well, like right now, you have an unemployment problem or you don't have a job, a problem, um, you are gonna keep doing what you're doing, but you just stay in the fact that event, once you get a job, you'll also be, and you know, there's gonna be unsatisfaction or unhappiness of some other kind at that time. 
So I think that's what she's talking about. I stay in not understanding what this all means. So, okay, I'm unemployed. I have different possibilities of how to go mm -hmm. about that, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm concerned for my financial future. Maybe I have a family. I have an urge to do something. That is the situation that most people will find themselves in. They feel like I have to damn do something right now because this is not sustainable. So mm -hmm. there's the pressure on the objective situation. Now I have one, two job possibilities that are maybe not great. I think about to take them or not, or I could decide to focus my time on something else. Maybe I, I can, I, I, will, I will think that I'm not in the right place to make either a good decision or to be employed right now because I would not be efficient. My, my mind space is not mm -hmm. in a good place. Now, in those options to do nothing about it and to try to come to terms with the, pro the existential problems, basically, of life not being satisfactory is, I think, a very, very specific case uh, that would make sense only for very few people. I don't see why, how, if I have two kids and I need food on the table, and mm -hmm. yes, maybe I'm not completely broke, but in six months I will be. I don't see why, why such an advice would be good for most of those people. So yeah. my question is then, under which circumstances does it make sense? Because with those examples, and there are endless uh, similar examples, mm -hmm. the best advice is figure out what is the best job that you can do and uh, do it so that, uh, you know, your kids are not kind of um, upset about the future while you are trying to figure out the cosmic existential issues that everyone is facing. Yeah, I think she's talking about the latter, right? Like when she talked about one of the friends who, um, who actually got AIDS and this is back in the 80s, right? So she's like, um, this guy eventually said, I didn't want this and I hated getting AIDS and I was terrified of it. But it turns out that this illness has been my greatest gift. And now to now it's basically, he's like, when you stay with it or when you try to not always solve it, mm -hmm. um, you end up, becoming friends in that situation. And I think she's definitely not talking about, you know, I don't have a mortgage and I don't have money to pay for my kids, but more of those existential questions and problems that we all have. Um, Good. Now, we when, have... when is my issue an existential issue? Because I can look at it in different ways. So I'm, I'm in a job, I'm dissatisfied, right? Income mm -hmm. is fine. I have a husband, a wife, maybe a kid, like things look fine from the outside, mm -hmm. the typical middle-class experience, right? Yeah. And yet I feel unfulfilled. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is that a psychological issue? Because I have long forgotten to, uh, to listen to myself and do what I actually want to do and doing the easy thing of following society's laid out path of having a house and a dog and a job and so on. So is it a psychological issue or is it an existential issue of, of a potential seed of realization of, wow, what I, the emptiness that I feel is the mm -hmm. emptiness of life itself. 
When is I it think clear she's... When, I, when it's existential and when I should do an existential approach or when, it's, uh, when I should approach it psychologically? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that, but to me, it's fairly obvious, right? Like if, you, if you're looking for a job because you have to now pay the mortgage um, and feed your kids, I think you are not even going to be reading these books. You won't have any time. I think when you read these books are, when you're having issues at work that are that are just like a lot of like either people issues or you're having like, you know, you are ill and you're going through a life health crisis and you're figuring out what do I do with my life? I think those are the only times that you actually even, like in my mind, you pick up these books, right? You figure yes. out what's going on. So like, I think we should like sort of focus on on that particular thing to begin with, right? Like to me, that is what what she's talking about. And and like, I see the, I see the value in it, right? Like what she's talking about, right? Like stay, stay with the uncertainty, get the knack of relaxing in the midst of chaos and learn not to panic. And she calls this as the spiritual path. So I, I don't know, I don't know the answer, but, um, but yeah, that's what I wanted to sort of like, you know, understand from you. Yes. Okay. So a couple of things there still to make it clear, or at least I think the application of that lies. Again, mm -hmm. I think it's for very specific people in very specific situations. It's, this is not a tool to get problems solved. This is a tool for when the objective reality is what it is anyway. And mm -hmm. it's, it's where there's not kind of a decision to be made. For example, I have a disease or kind of my business got shut down by COVID. For example, there's nothing immediately that I have to do. So maybe I re already reactivated my finance. Yeah. Maybe I have already the, 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 the temporary job that is necessary to bring mm -hmm. to the table. I struggle mentally with fate uh, kind of obstructing my life yeah Something. or i exactly or i have an illness with which i just have to now live with yes. um there is nothing i can do about it all that needed to be done like you know which was eat right go to the doctor get medication all of that has been done but yes. there is still this like you know anxiety panic depression right okay. so i i think very much we are very much in that territory good even in this territory, I don't think that it applies to many people. Let's keep in mind, this was written by a nun who, mm -hmm. who for, I don't know how many years she was in that position, who's used to think in existential terms, who got on the journey of Buddhism in order to solve a, set, a, a spiritual need, an existential need, right? So she was, yeah. when you are in that uh, space of mind, Mm -hmm. where this is your mental home you think in those kind of categories and then you stay with something you stay with an issue the mm -hmm. solutions will come will be of spiritual nature someone okay. who is you know blue collar working class or you know in service somewhere mm -hmm. when they stay with groundlessness or whatever fancy word you want to use their realizations will, I would say, not probably be of a spiritual nature. Hmm. Where should that come from? 
okay, if I practice that for years, this kind of thinking, this kind of thinking deeply, yeah. uh, you know, dealing with philosophical texts, challenging my emotions, getting out of my comfort zone, all of things that um, many monastics uh, experience, mm -hmm. then my whole kind of mental apparatus, my unconscious is already primed to think in those terms to produce these kinds of solutions. Someone who is utterly unprepared for these kind of categories, I don't think that this advice would lead to the same result that she got. So what, she, so I like logically what she's saying, I, I don't know if they will get the results. I, for me, the problem was not even getting the results. My, my problem with, with this particular thing was um, number one, just staying in that feeling of like, you know, the upsetness that when you didn't get that one particular career role yes. that you wanted and all of that, like that, that intensity of emotion and thoughts is so strong, right? Mm -hmm. That anxiety around health or that upsetness is so strong that like, I am, forget, I'm unable to even stay with that like yes, that, for more than a couple seconds and even yeah. when i do um it's but tell me where yeah. should the ability come from I, I i don't understand why you think that it should be just possible to do that that must the ability comes from somewhere it it's the ability to stay in touch with your own emotions and um and feelings that i think every human if if all of us were raised in a perfect life and the perfect way and not have any of our, you know, our parents didn't have their own set of issues, I think you would be in touch with your own feelings and emotions, right? The problem today for all of us, the reason why we read this book for me is I, I don't want to like, I'm, I'm not even trained to stay with my emotion. Like I run away, I have to force myself um, after running away for a couple hours or a couple yeah. of days to sit down and say, okay, what is, what is that, this thought about, you know, fuck, I didn't get that, you know, that opportunity. Yeah. Fuck, I don't know what's going to happen with my career. Yeah. Uh, all of that, like it keeps coming. Eventually I will sit down and say, okay, let me observe what's happening. Or let's, let's look I at made the same listen. mistake. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Again, in my career, um, that I told myself not to do. Now, what do I do? So um, I, I understand. Let's, yeah. let's look at that. So you say, if we're in tune with ourselves, we should be able to look at emotions. I don't think so. What are emotions made up for? For looking at them? Thoughts. No, Feel them. Not, not what they're made of, what they're made for. What is the purpose of emotions? Emotions make us run. It's not a yeah. TV show that you enjoy watching. When I'm happy, I want to jump around and kiss someone or mm -hmm. booze or have yeah. a party mm -hmm. or something. When I'm sad, I want to indulge into my self-pity or when I'm aggressive, I want to punch something. Emotions are not to be you know, deeply, quietly in touch with. So already that is, um, I think you acquired this kind of notion culturally. It's uh, maybe from, I don't know where it's from. 
and on a, on a large scale it's, it started in the 60s and 70s i guess and then um continued to be um to be proclamated by culture uh, in uh, throughout the last decades uh, through psychology and coaching and so on but even though it's very common this notion that we should be in touch with emotions what actually happens is that uh, we still want to run with the emotions and part of the mind is still running and we expect something that is very much against the grain of emotions there's nothing natural about watching our emotions. I'm not saying that it's bad. I think it's a good thing, but I just want to raise the bar of what it is that we are trying to do there. Effectively, when you tell a common, a common person to look at their emotion, right? And to stay mm -hmm. with it, to be in touch with it, whatever metaphor you want to use, what will happen is that they will look partly at it they will look partly at it, not realizing that with the other part of their mind, they're running with the emotion. But the whole, like the whole mindfulness, the Buddhist psychology around the whole mindfulness or yeah. being mindful, yeah. like all of that is all about getting in touch with your, you know, your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings in that moment. Yes. And that to so you don't agree with that <laughs> like what i'm saying is it's so much more difficult than what is popularized right now the reason why it doesn't work right so for example um i i lost this job opportunity on which i mm -hmm. depended so much my mind is freaking out right <laughs> i read books i heard people whatever speaking about mindfulness i tell myself you know what there's nothing that can be done about it right now let me be in touch with it, let me observe that. Maybe that helps. Mm -hmm. I sit down and honestly try to do it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I do it. So I'm looking from the outside, right? Mm -hmm. With an all knowing camera, I see what is going on. And at the same time, I interview the person. I ask the person, are you completely looking at it? The person says, yes, I'm observing it completely. What yeah. I see with the all seeing camera, what this is recording is, the person is observing it for 20%, not seeing that with 80% of their mind, they're still feeding and continuing the misery that keeps them at their difficult place. Okay, after half an hour of contemplation, the person says, you know what, fuck that, it doesn't work. I looked at it, mm -hmm. I still feel miserable. So this mindfulness thing is not for me. Right? It's not, so, not executed well. Also, this execution of fully looking. If I was able to fully look at it, yes, there would mm -hmm. be a deep realization. I would step out of the misery, at least for a while. For half a day, I would have kind of realizations of uh, peace and kind of a complex understanding of my situation. And then slowly, life would seep, seep back into my mind. And But at least I would have a little bit more of a tool. Most people cannot do that, I claim. This, depend, this ability to really be in touch with your emotions or to look at it in a mindfulness way is highly demanding. So I'm not against yeah. the concept. I'm against kind of propagating it as if this is something that can be done just because I'm in the mood or just because I'm in a difficult situation that suddenly, just because I think that I'm doing everything that is necessary, 
that this is in fact so. It's not in fact so. Just because I think that I'm a great painter right now does not make me a great painter. And it's the same with observation, okay. insight, and meditation or mindfulness. So what, what, so coming back then to the question of, okay, you know what, I am going through, um, I, like I'm going through my like life crisis, whether it is um, everything that I planned for in life couldn't happen because my health took a toll and now I have a disease because of which I'm stuck in a place. Or you take another example of, you know what, I made a whole bunch of career mistakes that I, Oh, I couldn't call them mistakes or whatever career lessons, but now I'm at a place where I'm unhappy with my career. And not just that, I also see this make, me making the same set of mistakes with my partner. Yes. Um, and I see myself doing the same mistakes over and over again. And mm -hmm. I'm in this really like dark space. What would you recommend that, that a person does? Yes. Then? So uh, let's stay still in the framework that okay. um, that Chodron kind of um, mm -hmm. recommends, because in the end, I think it works. I, I just don't think that it's described in a in a in a realistic way for everyday people. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the essential aspects in getting out of the rat race and getting out mm -hmm. of habits is determination and motivation. That is one of the most important things. Let's look at what determination and motivation actually is in the mind. Determination cannot live very well in a mind that is fuzzy, distracted, all over the place. This yeah. is not what it does. Uh, a determination is something like a, a post that is rammed into the ground and stays there. And that's something that is so tough for most of us, right? Like yes. to do. Yes. So I think it's still essential in most mm -hmm. cases. Um, so what I would do in, in um, a setting of conversations, right? Counseling, therapy, meditation is I would uh, set up conditions so that the motivation becomes stronger, which means in practice, we talk about it. Why do you want to do that? If you don't do that, what happens? Imagine you did whatever you plan to do and you find yourself in two months doing the same mistake again. How would that affect you? So we kind of chew through the issue so that there is a deeper understanding of the ramification of the whole thing, right? It's not just an isolated event. It's not just helplessness that wants to find relief, right? It's not just the pain of, you know, when, uh, I don't know, I have toothache, right? It hurts mm -hmm. super bad. And because of COVID for another two weeks, I cannot go to the doctor. In those two weeks, I swear to myself, okay, no more sweets. This has mm -hmm. to end. It's horrible. I indulged in sweets all the time. This is the result of it. I will finish that, right? It's complete garbage because this is mm -hmm. based only on the pain that I'm experiencing right now. This is not deeply founded. So what happens with people is they go to the dentist, uh, one, two treatments, pain is gone. Where's the determination? Forgotten. Why? Because the pain is not there anymore. It was not a real determination. It was just the result of the pain. So in the same way, 
we have to make sure when we work on something in a deeper way that the momentary motivation to change it is not just an effect of me suffering um, from uh, depression or um, mm -hmm. helplessness about the job market or something, that it's more deeply rooted so that when there is a small improvement in the circumstances, it doesn't blow away the motivation that I thought I had. Yes, but but in those life crisis moments, right? Any of those situations that I described, how would you, like, let's take one of the examples, right? Like everything that I planned for in life sort of like fell apart because I now have this health problem. Yeah. So um, now I have to like, you know, sort of like go to the doctors often. I can't do the career move I want to uh, do. I can't sort of like, you know, um, move away from closer to being the doctor, like all those problems, right? Like, yeah. what do I do with my life? I may be, I may die in the next 10 years um, or in the next five years. Now, how would you, like, where would the determination and motivation sort of like come in here, right? Like in here, yes, I want to get better, but the days I'm feeling better, I don't like, you know, when I eat like 100% healthy all the mm -hmm. time. Okay. So I'm, I'm just taking a very like, yeah. So, in, or, but my emotions are very much driven out of, okay, I don't know what to do for the next 10 years. I don't know if I'm going to live for the next 10 years or 20. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do with my career now because I'm like the things I wanted to do, I can't. Yes. So. Um, right. So in a specific place like this, mm -hmm. I would do two explorations. What is the field of frustrated fantasy for my future? Mm -hmm. And what is the field and the understanding of uh, what the reality of things is now? What I mean with the letter is to actually just talk about, okay, how do we feel right now? What is the important thing? What are the important things for the next weeks to do? What do you have to organize for the next months? Right? Mm -hmm. The goal for that is I'm not too interested in the details. My goal with that would be that the mind circles around the facts of the new reality. Because this is, again, not something that it would automatically do. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would fall off two possible cliffs. One is, uh, yes, I would see the reality of my sickness, uh, but I would be depressed about it. It's like, oh, nothing makes sense anymore. I'm helpless. I'm no good for nobody if I'm ill. It would fall off that cliff right? Or mm -hmm. the mind would go to the other cliff of, oh, maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's some, you know, miracle worker that I can visit in the Philippines. Maybe there's this new treatment and so on. So it would get, it would try to escape the desperation by developing new fantasies driven by the idea that in the end, I can still pursue my career and so on eventually. So in order not to fall into, fall off of these two cliffs, uh, I would engage on the one hand, uh, and a reality-based, realistic conversation about mindsets, plans, what to do, so that the mind gets used to the implication of the new standard, which is mm -hmm. probably I will uh, stay with this illness for a while. The second is to explore uh, the set of frustrated, frustrated fantasies. And I would declare it as such. 
more or less. So what are the things that you cannot do right now anymore? I cannot become an executive as I wished. I, I would. Mm -hmm. Okay, what would that mean? Why did you pursue to be an executive? Because I think it's good to exercise power and to bring a company to fruition and to keep people employed and so on. Right, so that would be a motive. Mm -hmm. And then to continue. So you think that you would be more satisfied if you did that? Yes, I do think so. Do you have examples for that? Yes, I know there's one executive and I was always striving to be that Steve Jobs or a personal, mm -hmm. uh, personal encounter and so on. So to bring, to work out how that is a, an illusionary structure that by no means is bound to be satisfactory or would have bound to be satisfactory that satisfaction through something like that and it doesn't matter what it is be skinny and beautiful be successful mm -hmm. be whatever that satisfaction from such an imagined outcome depends on so many other things so many other things and then the question when we worked that out the ability to spend money wisely if i'm rich mm -hmm. the ability to keep friends when uh, when i come to the fortune the ability to have time for my family even if i'm successful and not waste all, all the time on the company right all of these things would be necessary on a successful career so that mm -hmm. eventually the package makes sense right? yeah um, so if the satisfaction only partly depends on my the pursuit of my career what keeps me from developing those other circumstantial um, elements still now? What is the reality of that? Is there something in my way to uh, keep my friends, to stay connected with them, to spend time with my family, mm -hmm. to um, manage my resources in a wise way that I have available right now? So again, I introduce the reality of it and just I kind of peel off the illusionary nature of that. So that for the beginning, this these would be two mm -hmm. approaches that I would take with people. Okay. And you would give that same example for um, uh, for people who are, you know, having, I would say like the same issues like around career or uh, just their own habits and behaviors, right? Like. They're just like, okay, everything that I do sort of like is not the right thing. And I see myself making the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. Again, you would sort of go back to that particular framework or would that be a different framework? A little um, bit different. When there's a pattern yeah, right, that I want to escape, um, this is where a strong motivation for change is necessary. Mm-hmm. And how do you even find that motivation for change then, right? Like that becomes a question. So to her, uh, the way uh, Prema sort of talks yeah. about is very much, um, you know, observe yourself and stay in that. And, uh, and like, you know, yeah, that's what she sort of talks about is like stay with the shakiness. Yes, What's, what is shaking there? What is the shakiness? Is, you know, the, the emotions, right? Like the fear, the anger, the sadness, um, 
the not knowing how the future will turn out um how things will how life will unfold all of that yes yes um so it's an insecurity of i don't know what to make of that i don't know what to think about that mm-hmm. that is a very specific level of our mind right so when i'm stuck in a habit let's say smoking mm-hmm. for the sake of simplicity yeah. it's not good i had procrastination <laughs> yeah that's, that's uh, i think that's a bigger problem in this day and age than smoking yes it is uh okay procrastination now when i the procrastination is one thing i observe mm-hmm. what i'm doing i know very well the science of it and you know when i do it and so on so i know that but i'm frustrated with that mhm and i hate myself i don't know or... yeah. yeah wait i don't know what to do about that mhm this would be an aspect of shakiness my yeah. my kind of my helplessness in that mhm right so we're not talking yeah. about procrastination we're not talking about hating myself these are kind of factual kind of parts of my programming for now yes mm. it is what it is it's just i'm not saying that it shouldn't be changed it should be changed it's bad for you yes right but in a society where procrastination is bad or where where it hurt me so much in the past where i couldn't deliver projects where kind mm-hmm. of people scolded me i lost friends because of that hating myself for it is a natural outcome there's yeah doesn't make much sense to kind of work on that mhm uh it would make sense to work on the procrastination and it it makes sense to work on the um the desperation that comes with that it's like i don't know what to do anymore i read the two yeah. anti procrastination books it doesn't help now what i don't know i'm useless yeah and that's what she says to stay with right and you're saying not to stay with that i it makes one in in one case it makes sense to to i would i would call staying with that as non reacting to it again i'm not talking about procrastination mm-hmm. what i'm saying not reacting to that emotion right that yeah. react reaction to that emotion is hating yourself and like cursing yourself and being like fuck you still again made the same mistake over and over again yeah. in just like one different way okay which okay is, i see that which is already a result of the desperation right i yeah. i curse myself i hate myself because i'm helpless i don't know what to do now mm-hmm. if if i knew then i would i would go about and do it right yeah so i don't know what to do how to help myself and in the ca- now okay from a psychological perspective why would it make sense to stay with that because as a rule of thumb uh this helplessness will perpetuate my procrastination as a rule of thumb once a once a habit is uh is crafted in the mind mm-hmm. all of the components that belong to this scene are uh are uh co are helping to maintain it does that make sense to you everything is uh, it belongs to the same thing mm-hmm. like the action of procrastinating the cursing myself 
the hoping for a better future, the hoping that the announcement of the new book about it, well, all of that belongs. It, it, it's a beautiful bouquet of many aspects mm -hmm. that all help together to keep this uh, habit in place. Yeah, I would agree to that, yep. Uh, and probably this psychological aspect of the helplessness and the frustration with myself is more fundamental than the procrastination. Why do I say that? Because probably I employ the same kind of emotions and thoughts about myself in other situations as well. So yeah. I messed up another relationship, right? I would yeah, I was about to say, yeah, like making that, yeah, messed up a relationship, I would have that same exact, I, I again made that fucking mistake. Again, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And you know, you it's it's that, and, for me, it's like, how do you stop yourself from hating in that moment, right? Like when you're like, I again made whatever, right? Like to me, that is when things fall apart. Like, you know, I again made X mistake or again made X, an X mistake could be procrastination, could be a relationship, could be, I don't know, something else, right? Like whatever is happening. Uh, but you hate yourself in that moment, yes. right? Like. And what she's saying is, I know it sucks. It's not a good feeling, but I messed up. Isn't that a natural yeah. reaction that I scold myself? Yeah. And then I just tell myself, what's, there's no point, right? Like I've been trying to fix it for such a long time. I read all these books and yeah. then I get even further depressed because I'm like, nothing is helping. Okay. So there's an element there that is adequate. Right. If uh -huh. I messed up, if I if I if I betrayed someone's trust, uh, and then they left me, friend or partner, mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. There is something adequate in blaming myself because I messed up. Yeah. At some point, it becomes excessive. At some point, it leaves kind of the adequate grief that I have for my loss, mm -hmm. the loss of friendship, the loss of partnership, and I start to uh, punish myself in an excessive way. I have nothing against appropriate self-hatred. Let me put it like this. <laughs> okay. That should be the title of the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I have something, because that that is a reaction to a very concrete situation. Yes, right. I messed up. Now I lost a friendship. There's something definite about it. I will not get this friendship back. Mm -hmm. And I, I dislike what I did. And I dislike that I somehow let it happen or, or wanted it to happen. I dislike mm -hmm. that. And I dislike myself for that. Now, at some point, and it shouldn't be very long, or when I start to, I start to, I, I, what is isolated, I start to broaden the scope of it. The conclusion of, therefore, I'm a terrible person. Therefore, I'm not worthy of friendships in general. Therefore, I will always be alone. Mm -hmm. This is excessive because this is not anymore um, an, an adequate reaction to this situation. Adequate would be, okay, I messed up now. Let me look at my uh, remaining friendships. How can I make sure that they don't, that this doesn't happen with them? So I kind of question myself, I observe myself. Do I have parts of uh, unreliability with my remaining friends as well? Okay, let me get rid of those because I don't want this to be repeated. Mm -hmm. Right. So my kind of self-criticism that was connected with the one mess up 
brings me to uh, kind of to review my other relationships and to make sure that they are improving or that they are in a good place. Excessive, what I have to take care of is when it, it gets into a generalization. I'm a bad person, I'm not worthy of love, I should be alone because I'm a bad friend. That is excessive. Mm -hmm. And here, uh, one of the tools that can be adopted is to, okay, let me step out of the circle of feeding those negative self-views, those negative generalizations about myself. Let me step out for a moment and let me just look at the situation again. Let me just look at myself again. Okay. And here I can- And my favorite question to that is how? I don't understand the how question here. Like, how do you say, okay, let me look at, let me look at, at my situation. Myself. Okay, okay, okay. Right? So my, my kind of, let's say I'm inclined, I'm not good at, I'm not good at straight thinking. I'm not good in positive thinking. So mm -hmm. inclination is to generalize myself about myself and to say I'm a bad person. Yeah. Right? So this yeah. is my intuition that tells me that because I'm not good okay. at self-psychology. Okay, so now I tell myself I'm a bad person. And my suggestion is check that. See that this is an intuition of yours, but now it's, it's your job kind of to, to make a, a realistic assessment of that. Write it down. I'm a bad person. Give me five pros, give me some, a few cons. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I stopped kind of feeding this machine, bringing back to mind the situations where I messed up, reminding myself of how, how bad I was and how inefficient I was and how not worth, worthy of trust I am and so on, which is what we do when we're in a mm -hmm. negative state. We feed, we feed it by bringing back to mind the traumatic experiences that we brought about, step out of that and look at the conclusion of the negative thinking. I'm not worthy of love. Is that true? Yeah. Let me look at the opposite. I am worthy of love. Is that true? What is it about all those generalizations? Is there something that I can generally say about myself that I'm generally a good person, generally a bad person, generally this or that? Isn't it much more accurate if I'm looking for an accurate understanding mm -hmm. of my situation? Isn't it much more accurate that I'm very much uh, a result of my inclinations and the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, which is true most of the time, right? You're never like even the way I was thinking was like, oh, they keep saying everyone you're worthy of love. Yeah, you're worthy of love in some circumstances. You're not worthy of love if you're a murderer or yes. you know you've killed people. So maybe in those circumstances you're not so i do think it you know you're right in saying that you are um you know it like we our behaviors are sort of like or our current life circumstances are very much a result of the circumstances that and yeah. our inclinations in those moments right so. so how i would apply this um this principle of of groundlessness mm -hmm. or staying with that would basically seek the, the eye of the hurricane to get into a place of non-judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I can use it as I suggested in a way to look at the problem at hand, right? I can yeah. look at kind of the intuitively upcoming assessment that I'm not worthy of love, for example, for example, and question it. Or I can choose to take a vacation from judgment for a while in general. Now, people with a meditative kind of history will be able to do that better. Because indeed, other people might not have the tools for that. So what that means is I could come to the conclusion of, you know what, all this judgment, hoping that I'm great, finding out that I'm not so great, all this is just crap. Let me spend the rest of the day without any judgment at all, which means in practice that I'm very good at the skill of um, dis dissolving a thought like that when it comes up. And that needs a skill that does not come by mm -hmm. itself. So yeah. I my day I doing a coffee, the memory jumps up, okay, you must up with your friend. I have to be good at, you know, nicely pushing mm -hmm. this thought out of my mind. And then with a while, uh, and again, this uh, people who meditate will will know this process after a while those thoughts leave me alone. They don't come up just every second, they will pop up every half an hour or every two hours, it will come back. Right. So like that with again with my past experience of uh, knowing what to do with those thoughts, I can, I can breathe more. Mm -hmm. If I'm not good at that, I would actively question and challenge those self judgments that come up because I don't know how to be free of them for the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Um, so maybe this is it for today. It didn't get too Buddhist though, right? I would like <laughs> to have become so much more of a good Buddhist, but uh, it just shows, I think, how uh, basic ideas and concepts of Buddhism, I think they need a meaningful context in order to be applicable in daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for one. And that it's uh, really challenging to, to break them down to something that people can understand because otherwise those vague ideas of groundlessness and you know staying with what is a nice memes and spiritual formulas uh, they can make me feel good about myself because I'm so spiritual and intellectual, but they don't mean very much if I'm not uh, developing the skill of going further. <laughs>